I want to uh, begin by reading to you uh, a story from uh, the life of Jesus. It's in Luke's account of Jesus' life, chapter 5, and uh, it's quite a short text, but it says this. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Now, what you need to understand is Levi is also called Matthew, one and the same person. Uh, In other uh, accounts of Jesus' life, Levi is referred to as Matthew. Uh, Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, I wonder if uh, this morning I told you that I'd lost 50p somewhere in this room. Which of you, if I said that, would instantly get up and try and find it? If my two children were here, age nine and seven, they would be running around this room right now trying to find 50p. Now, I notice none of you are, so I'm kind of assuming 50p isn't that big a deal to you. What about if I were to say there was a pound? I'd lost a pound somewhere in this room. Would you be encouraged then to get up and look around for it? Maybe not. What about if there was five pounds? Some of you now beginning to get interested. Or if there was ten pounds? Or even twenty pounds? Well, the truth of the matter is, there is a twenty-pound note sellotaped under one of the chairs uh, down the front here this morning. You guys are about, you sat in the wrong place. And, uh, and this twenty-pound note is yours this morning. I'm, I'm totally serious. This, see, some of you are now going for it. This £20 note is yours, if you find it, to do with whatever you wish. So can I encourage you now to go on a search for the £20 note that is taped under one of your chairs? Now, oh, well done. <laughs> Excellent. Sue's found the £20. So, Sue, that £20, <laughs> you see, every time you come... Sue's first visit to us this morning. This doesn't happen every week, I promise. <laughs> but it's encouragement to you to come back again. So, <laughs> so you found £20. So the £20 warranted, I hope, a search for you to find it. And now you've found it, you can do whatever you like with it. But uh, what else would it take for you to jump up and go searching for something? Maybe £20 wouldn't do it for you, if that's the truth. You need to increase your giving. Uh, maybe it would be £100 for you, or 500 or £1,000. That would warrant a, a search for you to find it. What if one of your family or close friends was lost, physically lost? You'd taken maybe your kids out for the day and you'd lost one of them. What would you do to find them? <laughs> Some parents of teenagers are thinking, that's a dream that that could happen. <laughs> Others of you are slightly more concerned for your children. and If you'd lost one of them, you would go on an all-out search, wouldn't you, to find them? Well, what if one of your friends or family members or your neighbour or your colleague or the person you met in the playground was not lost physically but was lost spiritually? What would you do to help them become spiritually found? Now, I was lost until about uh, uh, the year of 18 years old. And then uh, two people helped me become spiritually found. And uh, their people were, uh, their names were Henry and Liz White. And uh, when I went away to 
university at 18, although I'd grown up in church all my life, it never really been very real for me. It was just a thing that we did. And I never really encountered God for myself. And when I went away to university after six weeks, I found myself with nowhere to live. And we were in touch with Henry and Liz because Henry had been my dad's best man. But they'd lost touch for many years other than Christmas cards. Henry had become a vicar of a church in Kingston. And when my dad knew I was about to become homeless, uh, he talked to Henry. And Henry and Liz really kindly and graciously agreed to let me stay in their house. And what started off as a short-term thing ended with me staying with them for two years. So they gave up something to have me uh, live with them. Uh, They gave up a spare room, they gave up their sort of family privacy, and uh, they allowed what was then a stranger to become part of their family. But they also introduced me to uh, a real God and a real Jesus. And I am so grateful to them for what they did, because what they did changed my life, and it changed my eternal destiny. And the truth is, Henry and Liz got to be used by God to change someone's life and their eternal destiny. And I was reminded this morning that I really ought to get in touch with them. We have lost some contact. We share Christmas cards and things. I really ought to write to them and say, do you realise what you did? And to thank them very much for that. And I wonder who that person is for you. If you're a Christian, if you've encountered God's love, if you're a follower of Jesus, who were Henry and Liz for you? Who were those people that introduced you to God? May have been family, may have been parents, may have been friends, may have been people that you encountered, may have been uh, some leader in a local church. Who was it for you? Bring them to your mind right now. Who was that person or those people for you? How do you feel about them? How do you feel about them? probably like I feel about Liz and Henry, very grateful, because those people got to be used by God to change your life and your eternal destiny. And how you feel about them is how people can feel about you if you allow yourself to be used by God to change people's lives and their eternal destinies. Because for whatever reason, God has chosen to work that way. He's chosen to work through people to help others encounter his love and his purpose for their lives. And what an opportunity and what an adventure it is that God gives to us. What an opportunity and what a potential adventure. In fact, what could be better than that? No other reward or reimbursement surely could measure up to knowing that you've been used by God to change someone's life and their eternal destiny. That's priceless, isn't it? And in this series, we've been learning together about how we can do better at that. How God can work more powerfully through us to see lives changed. Because it is God's heart and his desire to change lives. For the lost to be found. And he wants to use us to do it. And two weeks ago, when we started this series with the theme, Lost and Found, we looked at uh, Luke chapter 15, Luke's account of Jesus' life, And in chapter 15 of that account, there's the story or or the the time is told about where Jesus taught three parables or three stories back to back to back. And it is the only time in the whole of Jesus' life and in all the accounts of him that we find uh, more than one parable being taught at the same time. Normally what happens is you get one parable and then either Jesus explains it 
or he leaves it hanging for his hearers to think about and then he moves on. Something completely different happens. But in Luke chapter 15, we find these three parables, boom, 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 one after the other. And it seems that the reason for that is is because Jesus is really trying to emphasise a point and make a really profound point and make sure people really get it. So he goes at it time after time after time until he's certain that they've got it. And he teaches these three stories, these three parables about something that was lost being found. And just to recap on what we said two weeks ago for a moment... In those parables, there are three consistent themes. And the parables are are about a woman who loses a coin and searches until she finds it, about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and loses one and goes, leaves the 99 to find the sheep that's lost, and the prodigal son, the story of the son who disappears off with his father's inheritance and uh, eventually comes back and how his father welcomes him back. And there are three consistent threads that run through all of those stories. The first one is that in each of the stories, something of great importance has been lost. It's the coin to the woman, the sheep to the shepherd, and the son to the father. Something of great importance has been lost. The second consistent theme is the thing that is lost warrants an all-out search to find it. So the woman turns her house upside down to find the coin. The shepherd leaves the 99 sheep to find the one that is lost. And the father stands waiting for his son to return so that when he comes back, he's there, he sees him, and he can run towards him and embrace him. So the thing that is lost warrants an all-out search to find it. And the third thing is, when the thing that was lost is found, there is a great celebration. The woman calls all her friends and family in and says, I found my coin, let's celebrate. The shepherd celebrates when he finds the lost sheep. And of course, the father throws a huge party for the lost son when he returns. And what Jesus is teaching us in those parables is that for those who are lost, for those who don't know God, who haven't encountered his love, who don't realise what Jesus has done for them, they're like the lost thing in those stories. They are of great importance, huge importance, huge value to God. And if you would count yourself in that place, know this, you are hugely important to God. God's heart breaks over the lost, over those who don't know him. The second thing is, those people who are lost warrant an all-out search to find them. God gave the absolute best he could so that the lost can be found. He gave his only son, Jesus, and was willing to give himself fully so that the lost could be found. And finally, when the lost is found, when somebody who doesn't know God comes to know God through somebody like Henry and Liz or whoever it might be, there is a party in heaven. All of heaven, the Bible tells us, celebrates when that happens. So if you would call yourself a Christian, the moment you decided to do that, there was a party in heaven. And the banner over the great great banquet table in heaven had your name emblazoned on it. When the lost is found, it warrants a celebration. See, we're talking about walking across the room. We're talking about helping the lost be found. But the ultimate walk across the room was more like a walk across the universe. And that was when God decided to come to earth so that we could know how he feels about us. It's like a a cosmic walk across the room as God sent his absolute best, his son, 
to walk on the earth so that we could know how God feels about us. God gave everything for the lost to be found. And so we find ourselves in this passage I read earlier from Luke chapter 5. Jesus has made that cosmic walk and is now walking on, around on earth. He's talking, he's speaking. People are encountering him. And Levi has this amazing encounter with Jesus. Uh, now, you know, tax collectors were hated people in these times, in these days, 2,000 so years ago. And, and yet Jesus makes a walk. Even He's made a cosmic walk to earth. Now he makes another walk to the tax booth where Levi is sitting collecting his taxes. And Jesus says to him, follow me. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. But you see, that isn't enough for Levi. What's really interesting is what Levi immediately then goes on to do. It says, then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. So what Levi immediately does, having encountered this amazing Jesus for himself, he decides that actually this is so significant that everybody else should have the same opportunity he's had. So he invites all his tax collecting buddies and all his sinful friends over to his house and gets Jesus there as well and they have a great banquet and they have a party. And the purpose of the party is so that Levi's friends can encounter the Jesus that he himself has encountered. And of course the religious elite of the day, they don't like it, so they start moaning. And Jesus answered them, look, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. These are the people that I've come for. So Levi arranges a party. Now, you know, people want lots of things from churches. I discover this more and more. People want lots of things for churches. When people arrive at our church and they think about whether they're going to settle with us, sometimes they come and meet me. And, uh, and I'll, or I'll go to their home and I'll, I'll meet them. And they'll say, this is Christians talking, they say, we're thinking about joining your church, uh, but we've got children. Can you just tell us about your children's work? How good is your children's work? And I say, well, you're asking the wrong person because my wife leads it, but I think it's pretty cool. And then they might say to me, well, how good's your youth work? Or, you know, is your worship any good? Are your bands any good? How good's your pastoral care? Have you got lots of small groups for me to choose from? They ask me all those kinds of things. Do you know what nobody has ever asked me? Nobody has ever asked me, what are you doing to help me reach my lost friends? Nobody who's thinking about joining our church has ever asked me that. And you know, nobody has ever left our church because we're not doing enough to help them reach their non-Christian friends. They leave our church because our children's work isn't good enough or because our youth work isn't good enough or because they like the worship somewhere else or the teaching isn't deep enough or all of these kind of things they give as reasons for leaving the church. Nobody's ever said, I'm leaving your church because you're not evangelistic enough, because you're not helping me enough to reach my lost friends. And do you know why that is? Why people don't ask about how we're doing that when they're thinking of joining our church, or why that is when they leave our church, they're not leaving because of that reason. Do you know why? Because it's not a priority to them. That's the truth. It's not a priority for them. It's not a priority for them to be in a church that's throwing these kinds of parties that Levi threw, so that they could reach their lost friends, so they could be used by God to change people's eternal destinies. It's not a priority for them. They never ask me where are the Levi parties in your church? And yet, it might not be our priority 
but it is God's number one priority. And how can I say that? Knowing that to be true because of those parables that Jesus taught. Because to leave the 99 to find the one would indicate that the one is a priority, wouldn't it? Because all logic would say, if the one sheep is lost, you don't leave the 99 open to the elements to find the one. I mean, the law of numbers would say that. And yet Jesus says, the one warrants the search. The lost thing, the lost person, is God's number one priority. Now, we have a set of values as a church, and they all begin with the letter C, and we got them out of Acts chapter 2 in the Bible. And one of them, one of our values is communication. And it's about this. It's about how we're equipping each other to reach lost people. And there are a couple of sentences under each of these five C words. And under the communication word, it says this, and there are sort of explanations of those words. It says this, this is one of our value statements. Lost people matter to God and therefore matter to us and are our top priority. Lost people matter to God and matter to us and are our top priority. And that's what distinguishes us from lots of other churches. It means we will do anything within biblical reason, we will do anything to reach lost people. We will change anything if it means we can do better at that. Service times, locations, styles, content, how we spend our money, who we employ, what size our buildings are, anything is up for grabs if it helps us do better at reaching lost people. And if you are not on board with that, you're in the wrong church because we've agreed that together means we will do anything to reach lost people. They are our top priority because we believe they are God's top priority. Now, of course, that means we're not going to neglect the other stuff. Of course, that means we're not going to neglect growing spiritually if we're already Christians. Of course, that means we're not going to neglect caring for each other and caring for people around the world. Of course. But those are not our top priority. And there are many other great churches out there that have great programs but who don't give a rip about those who are lost. And I don't know how else you can read these stories in the Bible and not see that lost people are God's number one priority. Because God wants to spend all of eternity surrounded by the human beings he created and values and loves, and it breaks his heart when just one makes a decision to go their own way and to decide that they don't want God. And I am going to stand before God one day and get to spend eternity with him because of Henry and Liz White. And I long that when I get there, there will be loads of other people who are standing before God because I was prepared to walk across the room and help them find him, like Henry and Liz helped me. And I know that I'm going to be standing next to my sister and her husband. And I know I'm going to be standing next to many of you, all of you, I hope. And I know that I'm going to be standing next to some of our greatest friends, because God, in his gracious love, used me and used our church to help people encounter his love for them. And I know I'll be standing next to them because I had the amazing privilege of being part of East Hampstead Baptist Church who said, lost people matter to God and matter to us and are our top priority. God wants to use people like you and me to change people's lives and their eternal destinies. 
And I will be next to people because we had a plan and a strategy for how we as a church could help one another reach our friends and our family. Danny, can we just have this slide up? This is our strategy as a church for how we live out that value that lost people are our number one priority. And uh, it's something we've developed over a number of years. And it speaks of a journey that people make who don't know God to encountering him and to living for him. And those red boxes are the journey that people take. And many of you took this journey, and that's why you're here today. You started with a, a friendship with somebody who was maybe a part of this church, and then you were invited to a social event. And then on into what we call a seeker event, events specifically designed for people who are seeking, who want to know if God really exists and what he might have to say. And then maybe you got involved in a small group and on in commitment to the church, and you're growing in Christ-centered living. And this is our strategy, and we know it works because we've seen it work with many people. And we know that something like 90% of people in Britain who come to faith, who become Christians, do so because of a personal relationship with somebody and going through exactly this kind of journey. And so what we do as a church is we say everything we do must fit under one of these headings. And then there are, these are like streams, if you like, and we have different streams for different age groups. So this is for children. So our children do this. This is for our young people. Our young people do this. This is for our adults. And this is for our older people. And we have events and activities under each of those headings to help and equip us to reach our lost friends. And we say it's our job as individuals to build friendships with people. And then it's our job as a church to be providing Levi parties and seeker events that we can then invite our friends to come to. So the reason I was able to announce in the notices this morning that we've got a social event next Sunday evening is because it fits in our strategy. And we do it as a Levi party, a party for us to invite people to come to, to begin to realise that Christians aren't nuts and the church is okay. And we try to do those things as well as we possibly can. And we invest significant amounts of money and income over the course of the year in doing those. So we will endeavour to do next Saturday evening as excellently as we possibly can. So it's a great environment for you to invite your friends to. And then next Sunday morning when we do this guest service for Remembrance Sunday, they fit under that Seeker Events banner. We're going to talk a little bit more about God. We're going to be introduce him to people. And we're going to do some artistic and some creative things to make that an exciting and fun event for people to invite their friends to. And then many of the other activities that you can see listed there are things that we do under each of those headings. And so I want us to be able to say as a church, I know how I am being equipped to reach my lost friends and family. I know how that is happening and I know what I can use to make that happen. Because it is our heart's desire that each of us should have stories of people who we have helped know and encounter the love of God and whose lives have been changed. So what does this mean for you? Well, God wants to use you to change somebody's life and their eternal destiny. And all you have to do is build friendships with people, to watch out for people, 
to walk across the room or the office or the playground to encounter people and to build relationships with them and then to extend invitations to them, to extend invitations or maybe even throw these kinds of parties yourself where you invite people to your home, where you throw these kinds of Levi parties or where you use the opportunities that we're providing to invite people. You know, I said this, I say this over and over again, survey done recently amongst non-Christians, they were asked, if a Christian friend of yours were to invite you to an event run by their church, would you go? Over 60% of non-Christians said they would. They're just waiting to be invited. And all we have to do is invite them. And I know this works. And I know it works because two or three weeks ago, we baptised Helen, and I haven't asked her permission to tell this story, but I'm sure she'll be okay. Is that all right? <laughs> Helen was baptised here two or three weeks ago, and this is exactly what happened... Oh, he's gone now. But that, that is exactly what happened for Helen. Someone built a friendship with her, invited her and Simon to come to some of the things that we do. And through that process, she encountered God and got to the point of being baptised. And there are many people who can tell that same story. So we know that it works. And we know that God can use it to change people's lives. So there are invites for you to take away with you today on the information table to invite people to some of the things we're doing. And I just want to finish by sort of casting a vision, if you like, for what this could be like. Can you imagine this being you? Can you imagine baptising your friend or your neighbour, or your family member, or even the person that you haven't met yet, but if you have helped encounter God. Imagine them coming to encounter Jesus, coming to understand the love of God because of you. And we have 370 adults and children in our church. Can you imagine being part of a group of 370 people, all inviting and being used by God to change people's lives and their eternal destinies? It would be extraordinary. But it is right there for us. God loves the lost. He loves them. He gave everything for them. And we just need to reflect something of his heart for them too. Because lost people matter to God and ought to matter to us and be our top priority. Because God wants to use us to change people's lives and their eternal destinies. What I want us to do now is begin to think about people who we could uh, build friendships with, who we could invite to things, who we would love to see come to know the love of God. It could be our children. It could be our young people. It could be friends. It could be family members. It could be neighbours. It could be people we see in the playground at school. It could be people in our office or in our place of work. And I want us just to bring them to mind and if you want to, there are some cards on the table over here that look like this. People I will invite and pray for. And you can write the names of those people. You can take a card away with you today and you can write the names of those people on that card. And you can stick it somewhere. I have one sitting on my desk and it reminds me to pray every day for those people. And you can take that away and you can do the same thing. And you can ask God to open up doors of opportunity for you to extend an invitation or to walk across the room. And as you are just thinking about those people now, I want you to start praying for them.
and then we're going to listen to a song together uh, that is called Prayer for a Friend. And it's our prayer, our prayer of lifting our friends before God. So let's pray.